We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots podcast. This episode 39 of the pod. Matt, thank you for putting up with our logistical uh uh, differences here. Uh, we're we're like a we're like an odd couple just trying to make this relationship work, pal. Um, and I appreciate you. I don't know when you guys are listening to this, but we are uh, recording this in the wee hours of Tuesday night. Even more wee on your when uh, I'm out west now, Matt. Well, I, I'm going to be finishing this, I think, in the the early hours of Wednesday morning, which is it's fine. No one wants me. to hear your sobs. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not going to Joe. I just got home from work. I'm not going to bed for an hour or two, anyways. What, what so better? I have to even he, talk to you. And I was going to say, you just come home from work. All of those storylines are fresh in your head. Let's uh, let's put those into words, Matt. What do you say? Well, it's a little moose and runes after dark, Jackson. Joe, let's uh, let's get underway. Okay, now that I'm uncomfortable, let's kick it off with some NFL talk, Matt. It was a crazy divisional weekend, and it, it's you know it, the first thing I always think of, Matt, is that's that, that that's probably my favorite weekend of football. In, I think it is the best weekend of, the of, of pro football of the year. And I know we say that kind of every year, and, and there's some good weekends, but uh, it always seems like there's some crazy games, and this might have been the craziest finish that we saw in that late game between the Saints and the Vikings, Matt. Um, have you ever seen anything like that? I, I, no, I, just, couldn't put it into, I couldn't put it into context in things that I've seen before. No, I mean, I've heard, I've heard a bunch of different people try and kind of break that down, talk about it. and just, like For us, that was our generation's you know Dwight Clark catch against the Cowboys. That was our... You know, clip that's going to be rolled for the next you know 30, 40 years on ESPN on Sunday countdown, whatever you want to talk. That was our generation's yeah. kind of big moment, and I think it's, that once was, you kind of take a step back and kind of watch it, it's, it's cool to think about it that way. In the moment, your your jaws drop, you're shocked, yeah. and you don't really you don't know how to grasp what just happened. When you take back and kind of think about what happened, what you just witnessed, it's it's really incredibly cool to think about. I think back to, I think the Music City Miracle was the first one that came to mind. I still think that was a forward pass, but nonetheless, that was the only time I could think of a game of a game being decided in, in such an odd fashion in the waning moments. Uh, I believe it was the first walk off touchdown um, in divisional round history. It might've been playoff history. I I forget, I forget what the statistic was, but uh, rare air nonetheless. And those, it was such a crazy play, you almost lose sight of those previous four minutes of gameplay that were mm-hmm. outstanding, a back-and-forth matchup. I mean, Drew, Brees led, one of the, Drew Brees led one of the great playoff drives of all time down there to get them into field goal range. I think he got the ball back with a minute 38 left. The throw to Snead on fourth and 10 is yeah, unbelievable. It, it, he, that's when you feel bad for... Drew Brees and the Saints in that mm-hmm. situation because they almost earned the win. As I know, you don't come out with the win, but they earned that. They deserve a, a shot at the NFC title just as much as the Vikings do. Just on a fluke play at the end of a game, it it just looked like someone whose brain stopped working. It, it, I, I know people saying he was he was trying to peel off of a hit because he knew he was there early, but situationally, why are you even attacking the ball like that? You have to think like. Let this guy collect the ball and meet him in bounds, and the game's over. Even if you drag him out of bounds, the clock's probably going to expire. Why are you anywhere near him or the yeah, ball? It's almost like he kind of realized that mid wrap up. I guess mid when he was like trying to bend down, he was like realized, oh wait, 
and that's kind of when it hit him, and he just didn't really yeah. know what to do with his body. And that's not, and I'm not excusing, I'm not making, it's not a good excuse. I just, I do think that's what happened. I think he's a young kid still, and you got to be aware of the situation. You got to be thinking at all times if he catches it in bounds, bring him down in bounds, game's over. There's definitely something to be said about that, Matt, because these guys' actions out there, everything's happening at such a high rate, everything's happening so fast that they're reacting. A lot of this is innate, and it's not innate to pull up off of a guy and avoid a hit to try and wrap him up. It's a different set of rules in your head, and I think he had two clashing set of rules there in the least opportune moment, but nonetheless, it led to one of the better post-game scenes we've seen in a long time, too. It wasn't heavily produced. It was unbridled joy from the fans and the players alike. They had no idea what was happening. No, I, I'm totally with you. And i got to be honest. I, I've been – I'm not a big Vikings fan. I just – their NFC North battle, I battles with the Bears, mm-hmm. and, you know, for as long as I can remember. I've grown up not really liking them. I was rooting for the Saints. I was hoping Breeze could, would, you know, pull it out and we get to see a, a Breeze Brady Super Bowl because I think that'd be a cool one we haven't seen before. But I, think I tweeted at you something. You, you did. You, you said it was already done. You, you said it was a done Called deal. my shot. It was know, over. Yeah. Called your shot. And then, uh, unlike Babe Ruth, you swung and missed. Um, Seeing seeing Case Keenum on fire this week, Joe. Joe, it's it's eleven thirty at night here. I'm I'm going to take my shots. All right, give me what Um, what you got, Matt. But seeing Case Keenum kind of lead that that skull clap or whatever it was he was doing there before the kneel down and all that, it was just it was a really cool scene for a guy who's been written off by just about every every place he's been, every fan base, every coach, and he he's finally got his shot and even this year they tried to take that chance away from letting Sam Bradford get every chance but it's really cool to see him step up and I forgot where I was who was saying it in an interview I think it might have been Peter King but it was was Case Keenum's one of these guys who he plays better when people you know the the, the more people don't believe in him the better he starts to play the more he believes in himself and kind of steps up and that I'm going to prove you wrong attitude and yeah I I only buy I only buy so much of that though because that's that's a narrative that builds at, builds after the fact to me. And Fair enough. I think Case Keenum's a guy with a large enough sample size to where we knew who Case Keenum was, and he has something has happened in his game or with this group of guys. The the mixture, the alchemy of what's going on there, it's it's working for him right now. But I don't think this is a. A story of a chip, a big chip on Casey's no, shoulder. It could be. I don't think be. that. I think that's a minor part of it. I think yeah. the major part of it is he's got a very good offensive coordinator in Pat Shermer. He's got a uh, what's looking like an all-time great defense. Whether they win a Super Bowl with it or not, I'm not sure. Uh, it matters at this point. They have an all-time great defense. The way they're playing, he has two star wide receivers in Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. He has a very solid tight end in Kyle Rudolph. He's got a great running back time. So he has everything around him that a quarterback, yeah. a game managing quarterback can want. And hats off to him. He's going out there making throws, making the plays that he needs to when they ask him to. They're not asking him to make plays every time, but on some key third downs, they're asking him to make big throws. They're asking him to make some on early first downs. And he's stepping up when need when need be because he has all that help around him. And it show goes yeah. to show what having that around you can do for, you know, an average quarterback. I think you see it over in Jacksonville, too. To that point, Matt, I think that the Vikings are the most complete team of any of these four final teams. You never get, never bet against Brady. We'll get to picks later on, but I think that top to bottom defensively and offensively, just combined full roster, uh, the type of football they're playing, I think that the Vikings are the favorite. And, and this is a question for maybe a couple weeks from now, but 
do you think a home Super Bowl would work to their favor or against them? Now, that might sound crazy off the top, but I think with two weeks of buildup in the city of Minnesota, you almost want to get that team out of the city incubate them somewhere else and bring them back in. No, I know I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I, I, here, but I'm, I'm do you think you. that that setting could work against them? I'd be totally with you. I actually do think it, it would. I think it would lead to the possibility of more distractions. And yes, it is a home, like they're in their own home stadium. They get to stay in their homes. They have their own locker room, all that stuff. But it's not like it's a home game. It's not like this is their season ticket holders. Ticket sales are completely different. These are neutral ticket sales. These are there's going to be you know probably about as many Patriot fans in the building or neutral fans as there are vice inside of the building. They're playing in their own home. That's true. But this isn't like the the game atmosphere. It's not going to be like they're treating it like a Vikings home game. You're not going to have all the pregame and you know the the things that you know these players have become accustomed to throughout the year in the eight home games they played nine ten whatever it is uh, with the playoffs, but. I, so yes, it's a home game, but it's not a true home game. So I, I don't. I, I think it's being overblown. It's cool. That it's in their own city. City, but I'm with you. I think it could end up actually providing to be a little bit more of a distraction. Uh, now, Matthew, on my trip out here, I did find myself in Las Vegas for an evening. Put uh, a couple shekels down on a future matchup between what I had picked as the Super Bowl. So that is money gone. Uh, I had it uh, New England and uh, the Saints in the Super Bowl. So so. Say goodbye to that money. Well, you know don't what happens, Joe. Happens to, don't hit that to the good people of uh, where I, of the of the cosmo, of the cosmopolitan sports book. I believe that was. But another bet that you couldn't help but feel for. They take a knee on the two point conversion instead of kicking the field goal to get the five and a half. If you didn't buy the hook, I think that was a tough one to swallow. I know you fancy yourself uh, a bit of a better Matt. Did you? Did you uh, have any rooting stake in that, can I, in that fi- can in I final honest, moments? Can I be honest with you, Joe? I'm not going to. Yes. Not, not talking about the uh, the the extra point because I when I was was looking at the line, it was at four points. Um, okay. But this was the second consecutive weekend for me that mm-hmm. on the second to last play of a football game, I was winning both of my bets. Mm-hmm. And then after the last play of the football game, I lost both of my bets. I had Georgia, the Georgia money line, and under 46 in that national championship game. So second and 40 and Lovely. overtime was looking pretty good. Um, <laughs> and then I had I had a Saints money line bet, and then I had a, a Saints plus four and under 47, which are all going to hit. And then um, Marcus Williams decided to, uh, to, to lower the head and whiff on the, uh, on the tackle there. You know, Matt, sometimes the universe has a funny way of sending us messages, and I want you to just be open to any and all messages that well, the no, universe might see, be sending your you way. Know, the universe is telling me it's always darkest before the dawn. So to keep that's, going. That, that's a solid interpretation. I like yeah, that, Matt. Exactly. Uh, well, I guess interpretations aside, let's pick a couple winners here this weekend, Matt. Who do you like? I, I mean, we didn't even talk the AFC divisional round uh the the Steelers get knocked out. Uh, that, that matchup that we were hoping to see. Before uh, we make that pit, make make our picks, I want to talk about that game just really quickly. With you. I, I actually think the off Pittsburgh's offense was pretty fantastic after a bad start. All that I don't think it's dying. You're going to put up that number on that defense. What is what is Todd Haley doing? He has two fourth and ones from pretty far inside Jacksonville territory, and both times he runs somewhat gimmicky plays instead of turning around and handing the ball to Le'Veon Bell. I don't yeah. really get it, and I know one of them he did. Hand, it was it was a toss to the outside, but for me, if you have Le'Veon Bell in your backfield, a toss to the outside on fourth and one against the fastest defense or one of the fastest defense in the NFL is a gimmicky type play. 
why aren't you just turning around handing the ball off or falling forward with your 260 pound quarterback yeah the play calling there was definitely suspect matt and this is a group that year after year i feel like underachieves i don't know name me another quarterback running back wide receiver tandem like these three guys that have achieved less. Is there more talented like trio a, in football that, that you can remember in recent memory of, of quarterback, receiver, running back? I'm trying to think who was the running back when it was Moss and Culpepper. Oh, uh, was, was there it a Rob, name Robert, there? Robert Smith was one of them when they went 15 and one, but that was Randall Cunningham. I don't think they really had much. I'm just a, trying to think of crazy. Of course, in my head, I base it off of a quarterback wide receiver tandem. And then you, you add the running back on after yeah. that's an afterthought, I mean, but the yeah. Broncos had Elway and Davis, um, but no, I mean, I I would say Brown, Bell, and Roethlisberger rivals at the very least anybody. And I don't know this group has this group wasn't a championship group. They they have yet to achieve and reach the ceiling that I think they should have been at. No, at I, this I know point already. And, and the Roethlisberger that was huge. The Shazier the, the Shazier injury was huge. But still, forty five points to Blake. I, I like Blake Bortles. I think he's a, he's a better quarterback than yeah. people give him credit. I don't think he's great by any means, but I think he's better than people like to give him credit for. You should never well, allow Blake, Blake Bortles to put up 45 no. points on your defense on the road. No, but the weakest of that defense is now the middle without Ryan Chazier there, and Blake Bortles clearly ex- exploited that mm-hmm. throughout that entire game. He was protecting himself. He was checking down. I'd love to see the numbers on how many of his receptions went to tight ends and running backs because I think it was a large number, mm-hmm. and that's that's what he does well, and that's what the Steelers allowed, and I think that you know that's the that's the perfect mixture for disaster for the Steelers. And yeah. again, they find themselves watching the game after talking a big game. But I think we had this labeled the right way coming into the playoffs, Matt. We were very interested in this NFC side of the playoff bracket because there was a lot of uncertainty. I think on the AFC side, the, J- the Jags have been the storyline that, that has surprised, obviously. But mm-hmm. again... Both of us, I believe, down, last week kind of said, though, that was that we wouldn't but, be shocked if they were able to compete with or knock off Pittsburgh. Though I think we both did. Yeah, my, my point is, my point is though, looking down the barrel at the Patriots, and I think that Vegas has this as a crazy. I think it was at nine today, so Vegas sees this one as essentially a blowout, and I, I don't see it going any other way either. I just think that Brady and this group find a way to turn it on in the playoffs like they always do, despite whatever storyline is it there is. What's surprising me this year is Brady's doing it for one of the worst defenses during the regular season. They've turned it on a bit now in the postseason mm-hmm. to their to their credit, but with a very, very highly underperforming defense. And he's finding a way to continue to win by big by large margins, nonetheless. I, I think that I think this game is going to be a very fun, entertaining game, and I think I would lean it actually towards taking the Jaguars if you're giving me those many points. I, not not the money line, but I think I would take the Jaguars with those points. Simply because yeah. this this Jaguars team reminds me a lot of the the Ravens teams in, in years past that have given the Patriots they've been kind of the one team that's been consistently able to give the Patriots trouble in the playoffs. Have been those Ravens teams, and I, I think Flacco and Bortles are fairly similar, uh, comparable quarterbacks. These defenses, I think ja- the Jaguars. Defense has it has a group that's as good as any Ravens defense that has beat Tom Brady in the past, and I think they have an, an elite running game as well. Uh, and I just the, the one thing, and I think you can say it's just about any quarterback, but Tom Brady especially. The, the one thing that's been able to knock him off his game is if you can get to him, you can put pressure on him. And the Patriots have 
not the greatest of offensive lines and not a bad group, but it, it's not it's, it's not a fantastic offensive line. And the Jaguars' pass rush, what they've been able to do to fairly decent offensive lines, just bringing four every once in a while, five, they've been able to put some pretty consistent pressure on quarterbacks. So I, I do think the Patriots are going to win this one, but I think it will be a lot closer than a lot of people like to expect because I think what the Jaguars can do, it fits cold weather, it fits road football, and I, I think they, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. They wanted respect going into Pittsburgh. They feel like they went in there, and I still think they like they think they feel like they don't have that respect yet. It's a it's a group of bad dudes, no doubt. This is they fly around two all pro in my eyes, two pro bowler cornerbacks running a cover three. It's pretty hard to get by. So when I see this team, I see the DNA of a of a Seattle. 2013 2014 mm-hmm. defense that's what i see that that cover three you're not going to test us and we're going to run downhill and hit you in the mouth type defense always fun to watch uh, the, the jags d coordinator todd walsh is i believe of the pete carroll coaching tree so so to see this type of thing mm-hmm. this type of offense be put out there i think tom brady has or this type of defense pardon me i think tom brady has a lot of reps against this defense he knows what works and i think he's gonna always find what works especially when the stakes are the highest Mm -hmm. we're talking about the alpha the alpha male here so i don't know if nine's that crazy of a number in my eyes i just i i think it's going to be i I think you're gonna end up at the end of that game thinking it was a close fun football game to watch i'm not saying the patriots won't cover or i mean i think they're going to win there's a very decent chance they cover just because they can score so many points so quickly and i think maybe they can add some on at the end but i I think it's going to be a closer game throughout uh than a lot of people might want to uh expect or maybe vegas expects Plus, don't, don't, deny, don't deny the Tom Coughlin factor either. He's the one guy who's – I know he's not the, the coach of that team, but I, I know he's he's got his the ear of just it's about his anybody. Blueprint. His fingerprints are on it. And it's his hand-picked franchise, his hand-picked coach. What year, is, what, year did, what year did Jacksonville come to the league? 92, 93? Yeah, early 90s. And he guided them through that into the playoffs, into, I mean, the, the little bit of – glimmer that they've had as a franchise mm-hmm. and now he's doing it again uh, i think i think he's eating eating for free down in jacksonville whenever he likes at this point i agree but if you want to get the picks here joe i think i think we're going to patriots and then i think on the other side i, I th- gotta think minnesota gets it done they're the only i think storyline working against them or the only energy working not in their favor right now is the the old idea that you know, it was such a high, high that mm-hmm. it's hard to prepare in a week's time because you're so physically spent, you're emotionally spent. It, those guys are just getting back to zero today. And, and now you got to go get ready for the biggest game of your life, the biggest game in your franchise's history in over a decade. And that that can work against the team. But unless you find a way to ride that, catch that, catch that wind in your sail again and and use it to your advantage. What is? Do you have the number on that game, Matt? I'm not sure. Yep, I don't. I can. Uh, I can pull it up here quickly. I just. I, well, I, while you, while you do that, Matt, I think I'm just going to go ahead and give you mine. I think. Obviously, you know I'm rolling with Tom and the boys, so I'm mm-hmm. saying it's going to be a New England. Or I'm going to say Philadelphia in this situation. Min- Minnesota is giving it, it, three and a half. They're giving three and a half. Okay, I like I like the Eagles to win this football game. I think that. Nick Foles has underperformed 
at at an extremely alarming rate. You can't win a Super Bowl. You probably can't win an NFC Championship game with the way he's played football. But we know top end Nick, Nick Foles. We saw it two, three years ago. If he catches a spark and this offense is scoring, I think they're tough to beat at this point, especially against a Minnesota team whose offense is good, but is it is it high level? Can they score at a high rate? I, I don't think so. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the Eagles. I, I want. I do want to lean with you, just because I, I like I've said earlier. I don't really like the Vikings particularly. I, I love the way they play football. Just the team. Mm-hmm. I've never really. I've always kind of rooted. So you're you're just going straight from the but, heart here. No, I, like I no. Honestly, I have I have been anti Vikings. I've been a Vikings doubter all year, and I, I just what they did last weekend. I, I'm probably gonna. It's probably gonna come back to bite me because it's the one time I think I'm going to switch sides here. Uh, but I, I do think Minnesota is just going to win for, simply because I, I I just don't really believe in Nick Foles. Uh, he struggled against a not very good Falcons defense, and I think he's going up one up, up against one of the best in the business who's going to be able to put a lot of pressure on him. Um, that said, I, I'm kind of with you on Minnesota's offense. I think Philly's defense is, is being very much overlooked in this matchup and kind of overshadowed by how good Minnesota's is. But, and that was that was another thing that I was just thinking too, Matt. Is this Philly team has kind of become the the sub narrative? They've been pushed off to the side. There's not the they're no not the blame, underdog. They're, yeah, they're, like they're done. Once, yeah, they're not the Cinderella story like the Vikings. They're not the Patriots, the the overlords of the NFL. They're just the Eagles right now. And some their quarterback got hurt on a on a fluke play diving into the end zone, and everyone wrote them off. That was it for the Eagles. But here they are. Yeah, they've kind of been relegated to that afterthought because the other three kind of have such significant storylines attached to them. They're at home. They have one of the rowdiest crowds in in all of sports, not just the NFL. I think this is going to be a tight, low-scoring battle, and I I somehow think Minnesota is going to pull it out just because they seem to keep doing that week after week. But Philly is a team that kind of seems a lot like them too, though, in that regard. They seem to just kind of keep pulling games out even though they shouldn't be. So it'll be it'll be really interesting to see what happens in that one. It's 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 going to be a game, Joe, that you probably don't like because you don't really like when good defenses play football. Um, no, I, I think we're going to see a low, like low that. scoring that's, defensive that's an battle, overstatement. A, lot of, a lot of running going on. Uh, but I under over under thirty eight and a half. I, I think I'd probably go under. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. I think they'll both be good games. Uh, you know who all the ad sales people are rooting for in, in this one. Obviously, they want to put Tom's beautiful face on it, and you got the fan base in Philly. A Jaguars-Vikings uh, Super Bowl might be uh, you imagine one a of the... Blake well, Bortles, Case Keenum Super Bowl after. Yeah, and I'm thinking about it now. That might be the true barometer of like where NFL fandom is at. How many people are going to tune in to watch this game with these two teams outside of their given markets? And I think that that'll say a lot about whether the NFL is in a bad spot right now. Yeah. So it, it could be used as a, as a measurement of that, if nothing else, Matt. We got plenty other things to talk about. I know we've... I don't want to say skirted around them, but they were no fun to talk about at the beginning of the season. The Bulls, speaking of a little momentum, uh, they've found a little bit here. Uh, A three-game win streak, Laurie Markkinen having an outstanding first month of the season, a a record-setting first month of the year, pardon me, not of the season. And uh, you have the Nico storylines that he could now bring a first-rounder, and that's all they'll take for him. So the Bulls are becoming interesting again, I guess, in my eyes. Yeah, they're, they're becoming interesting again, and I, I, I hope they still 
plan on following through with this. I still hope that they end up trying to move. They do do this. They do do this, don't they? I just, I hope they're, they're still, I I know I'm fairly confident with people from talking with people that I work with and know that they are going to be trying to move Nico. Um, And I do think they, they think they can get that first round pick. I'd be a little bit surprised if they're not able to get one back, but it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what they do with guys like Justin holiday, who's shooting the lights out of the ball the last, you know, couple weeks, uh, Brooke Lopez, who's a very solid uh, number five for a playoff contender, needs a big man. But it, the, I think the storyline the last week has been Zach Levine's Zach return. Zach Levine and, hitting the and, ground and, running, yeah. I was talking with uh, with our buddy Mark Shinowski at uh, work today and kind of asked, you know, what mm-hmm. what are you seeing out of Levine that you like? And he just, he said something I kind of agree. I haven't watched nearly as much of Levine as he has. I've, I've caught some some plays here and there, but he basically said Levine looks like it's almost as if he never tore that ACL. That he, was, he compared it to when Rose came back. He said, you know, when Rose came back, he always looked hesitant. He almost he always had kind of that feeling like, when's it going to happen? When's he going to hurt that knee again? That's kind of the way yeah. he's playing. Whereas Levine's playing with no hesitation, no, uh, no I don't want to say careless, but it's, it's not like he, he doesn't really have a fear in the world of getting hurt again. He's just playing like he, he's free and open and ready to go have some fun. And he's absolutely like in just – under 20 minutes a game, I think he's got that 17 on Saturday and 18 on Monday. So he's he's looking like the real deal so far in some limited playing time. He really has, Matt. And what I've seen of him, my glimpses of him have been just that, that he's out there attacking. He's a shot creator. He's got to go off the dribble. And he's been comfortable stopping, pulling up in, in what I've seen of him. That go that zero to 60 that, mm-hmm. that Shinowski talks about there is so important to look at a guy because there is a, there is a process of getting used to your body again, getting used to your explosiveness again. And if a guy can fully do that before getting on the court and apply it on the court, which a lot of guys can't, I think that you're going to get the full package and that, that trade looks a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I'm totally with him. People, I forget even he's, he's only 22 years old. He's been around forever, but he's only, I think 22 may it, 22 i'm almost positive not 23 but he's still incredibly young he's younger than chris dunn so this 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 young core they're starting to build i'm not sure chris dunn is a big three when these guys get good but chris chris dunn's probably that really good role player just outside of your big Mm -hmm. three and i think you're seeing guys Lynn markin and levine who are developing that one one a mentality that that potential you're starting to see Laurie Markinen seems to shaken off that rough spell where he was a little bit hurt with his mm-hmm. back a little bit tired I think he even admitted and he, he's starting to look like I think after Donovan Mitchell out in Utah I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's been the best player from that draft class you make the argument with me with Jason Tatum and I'm gonna I'd probably say I'd still take Laurie Markinen. and Matt all that aside I know we didn't really know who he was and he has when the expectation, we talk about expectation on the podcast a lot, but when the expectation's low, things look really good. I think he will regress to the mean a little bit, but if he can be a piece that's here, that, yeah. that you are starting to see the additions, not just the subtractions in a rebuild, a Levine, a Markinen, those types of pieces, that's exciting because if Nico is sent to the wayside and and you can get a return from him, not only are you going to have picks, but I think there's going to be some money next year. I think they're going to be substantially under that cap and could be a big player in free agency at some point in one of the coming years. So that's what's I think the rebuild, my point, my point is that the rebuild might go faster than you think. I, I think that Chicagoans and sports fans now in what we've seen, whenever you think rebuild, you think what the Cubs did. And that took a long time. You remember mm-hmm. 
you remember the climax, you oh, remember took, the yeah, moment of it. Took five years. But it took a long time to build that team from the ground up. And I think that in baseball, that's the formula. In basketball, we always talk about buying a team. You might not buy a team here, but buy some guys that can make a team. And I, that, I think that the Bulls will be in that position. Yeah, that's what's going to be huge for Gar and Pax because in the past they haven't had problems finding the core pieces. Uh, you've, you've seen these types of guys come and go in the past. They found Rose. I didn't find Rose. They got number one overall, but obviously they, they got Rose. They, they, <laughs> found Jimmy the Butler. they found Jimmy Butler. They found Luol Dang. I mean, they, they were able to get these guys, but th- their issue in yeah. the past, they found Taj Gibson. Their issue in the past has been finding guys to compliment them in the right way and get the right pieces yeah. around them. And that's going to be Finding a challenge again. I, I think they found their their three building block type guys a little earlier than they planned. And now it's their job to go out and find the pieces to compliment them. I think they got to go out and get one more building block type guy, whether that's finding a way to steal a free agent in the draft. Maybe you got to get, got guys in, in Zach Levine and Laurie Markinen who are, are good enough to attract a big name free agent in the coming years. Maybe not. If not, you got to go find them in the draft, but that's their next goal. They got to find another building block type guy and then find some veteran pieces to build around them with, which they haven't been able to do in the past. And please avoid the playoffs because nobody needs that problem. Yeah, we need to be in the lottery this year. I don't care if it's you know one <laughs> ping you. pong ball or twenty five, whatever the hell it is. We we need we need a ball in in there. I think that that'll make a big difference in again accelerating that type of rebuild. Matt, uh, a lot going on in the NBA right now with the Clippers Rockets drama. I know we'll get to that later on in the podcast as well. I believe that's something we're going to hit on and buy or sell. But uh, Good I think that. Yeah, there you go. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, folks. But I think that it needs to be talked about because this is not only the NBA headline, but it's kind of taken over the sports headlines right now. Just a a bizarre situation after the game. Teams storming other teams. Have you ever seen anything like that? It was like a it was like WWE level. It really was like almost like fake drama. But this isn't fake. You got to think about it, Matt. CP three turned down. Two hundred million plus just to not be around Doc Rivers. He he's not gonna get that money. He's seen as an aging point guard now. He had that offer. So why is, why is he the angry one? I, I don't know. What, yeah, I don't he, know. He, what, you made that choice. You wanted to leave, and that's fine. I don't. I don't. But my like point it. is that the there is a certain level of hatred there in people that were very close to each other at one point that makes this real. Oh, I it's it's a hundred percent real. I just I don't. And by the way, if the, if the season ended today, it's it, that would be the two seven matchup, which would be I, I think the Rockets would win in four or five games. That'd be a really fun series. To that'd watch. be a blast. I just it, it doesn't make sense. Like I know CP three was frustrated. I'm sure he wanted to go out on top in his return to L A. He got a nice ovation, all that, like he probably deserved to. But it was just we. I, I know he was frustrated by the way things ended kind of last night. But it it was just weird. I. I it was a weird situation to see unfold at the end of the game, even before all this locker room stuff happened. I thought yeah. the end of the game was weird with Blake and Mike D'Antoni getting into it, and then Trevor Reza, like, slew-footing Blake Griffin at the free-throw line. It was, it was just a really weird, <laughs> weird ending to a game that was just capped off by even more drama. That I, I've never seen. It was almost, it was like a reality show, Joe. I've never High seen drama, anything man. in sports. High drama and... I'm one for it. I think that it creates well, the storyline there. Let's save the rest All right. of it well, for we'll the, uh, Yeah, I guess I just kind of blew our buy sell there. But, Matt, uh, not that totally. let's jump. Let's let's move on. You used the term slew foot, so I felt like it, we're, we're halfway to hockey right now, Matt. Not the best news you for can Blackhawks. You can read my mind. 
some uh, some late reports. Yeah, you were signaling to me, get to the hockey. So we're going to jump into Matt's hockey minute, and I think that uh, we'll give you a couple minutes here, Matt, because there's a lot going on with the Blackhawks. Corey Crawford possibly out for the season with what they're calling vertigo or vertigo-type vertigo symptoms. Vertigo-like symptoms is, is kind of what's being said now. I know he, he left uh, a game against New Jersey midway through the first period, December 23rd. Um, and that's kind of that's the last we've seen in game action for Corey Crawford. Uh, he's been on long-term injured reserve, and there have been rumors everywhere from he had a concussion that he suffered a game before that to he fell off a snowmobile over the Christmas break uh, to he was in rehab. I, I've literally heard a hundred different rumors. This one seems to have the most legs to it because a, a guy like Mark Lazarus is tweeting about it, and he's a very reputable Hawks reporter. He's got multiple sources kind of confirming that's a suspicion. And if that's the case, I've been on the Hawks bandwagon all year. um, And I'm not going to say it's impossible for them to make the playoffs because I still love what they, they had a clunker against Detroit before they went on their bye week here. And that, that, that can happen sometimes before you got a week off. Um, It's still going to be, it's going to be very hard to make the playoffs, not because they're not good enough, but because how good the rest of the division is around them and how many teams there are in front of them. It's almost like you kind of got to win, you know, 60% of the game, the, you know, the, the rest of your games you got left, if not a little bit more. And that's just going to be really tough to do. Um, if they don't do that, I, I, people are saying there's, you know, changes coming. People are going to get fired. They're going to move a lot of people out. I, I kind of tend to disagree if the reason they don't get to the playoffs is because Corey Crawford missed 50, 55, 60, or whatever amount of games it is this year. It, that, that's really hard to blame your general manager and your head coach on, especially if they stay competitive and stay in that playoff race. But, uh, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, anything's possible. Yeah, and that's – I think the the marquee of the last few years for Hawks and Hawks fans has been stability, and it's gotten to the point where you take a team like that for granted and – the sustained success that they were having. And now you're starting to see, and you saw it last year, but the struggles of a team that isn't complete, that isn't the team to beat, that isn't big man on campus. And the Hawks haven't played well from that position. This puts them in another position of vulnerability. Matt, for the rest of the season and moving forward, what does the Hawks net look like if Corey Crawford is out for the season? You know, right now you, you got Jeff Glass and Anton Forsberg, and I think you'll see that tandem for at least, you know, uh, another couple weeks. Um, and I, I think they're going to see if that tandem can't keep them afloat for that long and see where they are after, you know, a week or two back. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, if they got a chance, I, there, there are some decent names out there that are going to be free agents at the end of the year. Uh, the name I've kind of looked at, had circled, uh, is Cam Ward out in Carolina. He is he's split in time with Scott Darling. Uh, Darling was obviously here for however many years, and you know was was part of that Stanley Cup winning team. But he's he's been pretty bad uh, since he got tra- signed out there. I think his rights were traded. He signed out there, but that's irrelevant. Um, he's been pretty bad all year, and he was supposed to be kind of the starter. Cam Ward is the veteran who'd been there for I think at least ten years now. Um, and he, he won a Stanley Cup there in his rookie year, so he's a guy who's been there for, for a while. He's having a decent year in 19 games. He's got a 2.8 goals against average, save percentage around 9, and he's, he's just a veteran, stable presence who's, who's up at the end of the year, and if Crawford goes on a long-term injury reserve, the salary cap uh, money freed up will, will not be an issue. And I think that's a, a cheap option. You can go out and try and get very low risk, probably get him for next to nothing and I, that would be the option for me uh, especially too because the, the hawks and the hurricanes have made a number of trades over the past few years you see guys like 
darlings over there, Tara Vine and Bickle, Kruger, uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyke. So that, that, that's already a, a, a dialogue you've probably had at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, that that's the name that sticks out to me. There's a couple others. Auntie Ranta, the ex-backup here, um, was another name thrown out there. I don't see him as a guy who's going to be able to shoulder a team on the way to the cup. I just think that's kind of taking a lateral step from a guy like Anton Forsberg. But you, you could also see them, if they are comfortable with these this two-goalie tandem, going out and trying to use the extra cap space because I believe with Crawford, $6 million hit about halfway through the year. That equals about $3 million in salary cap space. It's going to be freed up. Uh, so you, you could see them go out and use that extra space to go out and bolster their blue line, get a bigger name than they thought they'd be able to go out and get if they think they're in, in playoff, potent, or playoff uh, position. Uh, and and I, I don't think it's – the odds aren't likely, but I still don't think it's impossible because none of the teams around them, I don't I don't see any of them as world beaters, and none of them have Patrick Kane on their team either. So that that for me is is the reason you're, why I don't think they're 100% done, but the odds obviously – You're a glass half full – you're a glass half full guy, and every time I think the hawk ship is sinking, you always it, give me. It, it, you, always, hole, you always throw me a you throw me a life raft. Joe, th- there's definitely a hole in the boat right now, but okay, th- th- it feels are, that way. There's so a far. hole in the boat, but there's sometimes there's sometimes there's ways to plug it. Sometimes there's not, and thankfully it's not my job to figure out how to plug that hole. We'll see if Stan can do it. If not, I don't think that him or Joel really does. Depending on how they, I mean, if they go in the tank here and epically collapse then maybe something needs to change. But if they keep fighting, keep playing the way they have, they've kind of already started that rebuild. I, I think after the, the Richard Panic trade last week, you have a team now that had four players under age 25 last year. They now have 13 players on the roster age 25. So they've started that transformation, and I think they're already in that process while trying to compete and doing so. So I don't think there's a, a, a full rebuild coming. I don't see many pieces other than Patrick yeah. Kane that you're going to move and get a massive haul back. Yeah. And if Matt, I think you're moving Patrick Kane. Sorry, I could talk I, about this forever. No, I, I know you can, and it's all very insightful, but I need you to get on the phone with our T-shirt guy because there's a hole in the boat, boat but there's a way to plug it. It's a T-shirt. Like right, There's a hole fine. in the boat. I can see the, the drawing all right, but but then on the back, and sometimes there's not. So we got our team White Walker shirt, and then we got that one. Yes, yeah, so both okay. of those coming we'll in 2018. Yeah. Uh, soon come. T-shirts soon come, Matt. Uh, why don't you hit the music? Because I, I think I got something that you might enjoy here. All right, let's go. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind? I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt, uh, the grievance this week isn't so much of a grievance as it is a suggestion, and I think this happens every time a college football season comes to a close. You see the college football playoff in its grand spectacle. You see these coaches get paid crazy contracts all in like a month span there. Coaches changing jobs, championships being won, games being broadcast. And then we see all these massive numbers come out and the cries for paying the players come from the rafters. Everyone wants to pay these kids. Well, no one has the solution how to pay them. I don't think you pay them. I've always stood in that camp. I thought I always think a education is is what you're being what you're exchanging for your services. But some people, your Baker Mayfields, your stars, do garner more than that. And I believe in that as well. So 
I don't think you should pay the players. I think you should allow the payers to be players to be paid. In one simple instance, you remove the image and likeness clause, and Baker Mayfield makes millions of dollars in revenue in jersey sales, in autographs, in whatever he deserves because of his play. The long snapper with glasses on isn't going to – your bottom tier, your red shirt guys aren't going to be, be paid – the same as your star guys, I guess is my point here. And a way to do that is allow the guy's image to dictate what he receives. You remove that image and likeness clause, I understand, then you're playing with the idea of professionalism, but, but that's where we're at. That's what we're getting to. I don't think there is a scale on which you can pay these players that seems fair other than letting them dictate exactly what they deserve. And I think that's I think that's an idea that should be at the table when you're talking about changing the way things are in college football. Now, I am... Uh, are you, you done? I don't want to interrupt. You hit me. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And just to play devil's advocate here, I, I do think there is a small problem with that because I do think it does lead to unfair advantages when it comes to recruiting. Because if that's the case, you, you would think teams like Oregon, who has Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike... It would, would have an advantage in helping players market their own you know value. You can you can tell the the top recruit in the country, hey, you get to make money on your own likeness. Well, I own Nike. I can make that happen. I can you know have marketing campaigns around you, all that kind of stuff. Or what's the stop? Yeah, you know, schools like this... Michigan or North Carolina, the only Jordan sponsorships from doing the same yeah. thing. Then, That's that... a point. But all of these types of things are already happening, Matt, at a much smaller scale. These Dodge Chargers that are popping up on campus aren't coming out of nowhere. You know, they, they've no, but it's been a, happening but, for but a long time. But a Nike time. commercial featuring Baker Mayfield and Oregon gear is different than a Dodge Charger popping up on campus. If Nike thinks Baker Mayfield can move their product better than Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, these other guys that are on their payroll, then they're going to give him the commercial. Now, that commercial has to work in the constructs of Baker Mayfield's practice schedule and class schedule how you make that work is a whole other thing but then you have kids hiring agents before and and things do get murky but i think this is one of the ways to go about it in the least murky way i i I do tend to agree with you if you want to get kids money i think that is probably the most fair way that they should be able to earn their own value but i i'm also just kind of playing the other side of that coin that there are snags here that there would be issues that would have to be ironed out to give schools and oregon oregon michigan north carolina were only the three off the top of my head that i can think i'm sure there's more but you get what i'm saying here that might have a little bit of an unfair advantage over some yeah well that's that's my piece for the week matthew I like it. Usually when you don't tell me about what your grievance is, it's usually you know yelling at me or something. Because so. I thought you were going to vehemently disagree with this. No. I thought it fire you up a little no. bit. But I'm glad to hear that we're, we're in similar camps at least. Yeah, and oh, yeah. I think it's something that's going to be widely talked about until there is a solution. But no solution is final, and it's, uh, it's always going to be something that's, that's on the back burner, no matter if there's a plan or not. We're still talking about how they decide a national champion. And that was something that we thought we figured out five years ago. So no, no, we did not. <laughs> All right. Now let's do a little by yourself. What do you say? All right. You want me to start it off? Yeah. Kick us off. All right, Joe, I'm going to, we, we talked NBA. So I'm going to, before we get to that one, we'll start with some baseball here. Um, okay. Christian Yelich out in Miami. He wants out agents coming out saying, you know, rep- relationship is irreparable, all that. Miami didn't want to get rid of him. He's got a great contract. He's still only 26 years old, but he didn't want to be part of a rebuild. That price is skyrocketing. 
Joe, should the White Sox be players for Christian Yelich? And I think this is uh, different I, than the Giancarlo Stanton question, simply because of that contract. See, I've had a very cursory understanding of these uh, specific dealings with the White Sox. You probably could give shed more light on this, but I still don't think they're in that position where the the bat is what you want to go get, or the name is what you want to go get. I think that they're still in a building mode, and if Yelich is giving no rebuild as one of his stipulations, then I don't know if the White Sox are the place that you want to be. I know you're on the you're on the positive side again of a rebuild, but uh, I don't know if the timing's right on this one, so I'll, I'll sell it just from that standpoint. I can I, I'm I'm more lean towards being on the selling side of it because I think the price might be so high. Uh, I know they basically gave away Stanton and Ozuna for next to nothing because that contract was so bad. But with how great Yelich's contract is, I mean, their ports out of Miami are this. This is going to cost you quite a bit in your prospect pool. Obviously, the White Sox have the prospect pool as well as as much as anybody does to go get them. And I do think uh, a signing like this, I don't want to over exaggerate, but this could be. Yeah, after having seen this on the north side of town, this could be similar to the the Sox Anthony Rizzo type contract deal. Yeah, you know, core type piece that you go out and get once. Obviously, they got Rizzo before they're ready to win, but. Uh, that that could be your piece to me, and a lot of they they they're probably missing one more outfielder. And while they are still on the rebuild, they are on the upswing of that rebuild, kind of getting to the point where this year they're started to expect to somewhat kind of compete for that wild card before collapsing. And twenty nineteen is kind of the year to go make something happen. Um, so so we'll see. I, I wouldn't be opposed to go out and get them if if the price is right. I'm not giving away, you know. Guys named Kopech or or Giolito yeah. likely at this point, but if I can if I can do it with a package of you know mid to late top ten prospects, I, I think I really have to seriously explore it. Maybe even throw in Tim well, Anderson as a sweetener. Uh, I, I'd have so, to seriously so you, explore it. I was going to say you got uh, you already got a couple of scenarios in place, Matt. We're going to have to keep an eye on that one because I always got scenarios move. in place, Joe. It could be a big move, uh, Matt Whelan dealing from his GM position, Matt. Buy or sell, and now this is something very near to my heart as of late. Uh, I don't want to, maybe not near to my heart, but something that I've experienced in the recent It's past. a current event in your life. It is, and I thought that we'd explore it here for a little bit. Buy or sell road trips, Matt. Now, I, I how, how long was the road trip you were just on? It was, it was quite a hike, was it not? It was Lincoln to Sacramento. It was, uh, don't give me miles, give me hours. I don't 1,800 know. miles. I think it was 22 road miles, uh, 23 road miles. Hit a little, hit, hit some wetness up in the mountains. You know, things got a little touch and go there for a minute. And then you get out of the mountains, you have a few hours of peace, you fill up gas, and then we're in the desert. And, and then, I don't know if you've seen southern Utah, but it's very hills have eyes. It's uh, it's not where you want to be under a half tank, and there aren't many gas stations. So, well, I'm glad uh, we your went, car didn't break down. <laughs> we went uh, Lincoln to Denver, Denver to Vegas, Vegas to Sacramento. So that was the trip. Uh, you know, I I got to be honest with you, the the length of that one sounds a little bit long to me. I I, I tend to lean towards um, Team Fly, big airplane guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. if you give me, if you're talking, my like, spirit was my spirit was broken day two. If you're talking, if you're talking an eight hour road trip, okay, you know, fine. Like one day, let's knock it out. Like it's it's fine, whatever. But these long road trips, man, they they absolutely get you. We did uh, a couple years ago. 
my, my, we have a, we have a condo. My grandparents have a condo down in Florida that the parents spend a lot of time, time at in the winter. And my dad figured it was getting a little bit to the point where it, it was, it wasn't financially responsible to keep renting a car down there every mm-hmm. time they went to, to just have our own. So he tasked the, uh, the children and our, our lovely sister-in-law with the, um, driving the the car he wanted down there up up in chicago down to florida she said yeah you know we'll, nice. we'll pay for everything that's you know, why you have kids fly back but yeah that's why you have kids hey drive my car down to florida we'll pay for it okay so so we did that and we we did the first night you know it was, it was 19 hour drive total first night we we left on a friday drove down to nashville we got there in seven hours it was fine whatever but that next day driving down to florida man it just i'm with you it just it 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 eats at your soul. It's just, it's so tough. And then, you know, you, you're breaking through the, you think you're getting somewhere. You've been in the car eight hours. You think you're almost there. You get to the state of Florida and then you see like 400 miles to Fort Myers and you realize Florida is a really big state. And it just, it breaks your spirit, man. And you you think you're getting somewhere and then you see a sign for how far you are away and it breaks your spirit and I can't do it. Yeah. You got to keep your eyes off the, you got to keep your eyes off of the mileage counts. Put me on a plane. You just got to drive. Put me on a plane. I'll pay a couple extra bucks. Get me on a plane. Get me out there in three hours and let's get a beer in my hand. The only other time that I've been in a car on a road trip longer than eight hours was as a kid. I think, uh, I think we were late getting close to our teen years and we were, we were oh, heading down to Florida. We were, he- <laughs> we were heading down to Florida and, uh, it was islands of adventure, that whole, that whole thing. And mom thought it'd be a great idea. You know, let's, let's see, let's see the country. Let's see. By the time we got to Florida, my dad was looking up how much it would cost to ship the car back and put us all on a plane. That was, that was a the drive there. We ended up driving back. Day one, we only made it through Florida. We made it to Atlanta. We drove Atlanta to sh- <laughs> the second day. We're getting a hotel. No, there was no, 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 no. There was no third day. The second day, we woke up early, like crack of dawn, and drove Atlanta to Chicago in a day. It was it was a nightmare. So I, I try and steer clear of it as well. So I take it you're selling because I mean selling. I'm I'm gonna sell it. I can do the occasional Happy road to be trip here. I, I'll do the occasional road trip, but like I, I, I no. won't be, I won't bring the group down if that's what we're doing. But at Chicago the same time, Bloomington, you're giving me yeah, a little nice little, little <laughs> two hours, get me to Muggsy's and back, and we're fine. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I like the Notre Dame trip. You go for the game, come back that night. Oh, that's my type of road trip. Hour, yeah. hour and a half. Yeah, let's 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 cut it at that. Okay, let's oh, three hours God. is starting to push it. I got I had to drive to to and from St. Louis. And back to no, you know, to St. Louis the next day. Drive back. That they was got an airport. Yeah, it's a forty-five minute flight. You're up and down. Beautiful. Matt hit me. Uh, I don't even remember where. Oh no, I do remember now. <laughs> Sorry, he got me. In, he got me in road trip. Joe, we touched on it with the uh, with the Clippers, Clippers Rockets mm-hmm. stuff here, but we we touched on it in the off season a little bit with all the 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 changing teams and the drama and all that that stuff. But buy or sell. Off-court NBA drama is more entertaining than their on-court product. I think at and this point in the season... I'm, I'm not talking more- about just like, you know, picking and choosing your games. You're like, obviously the Warriors, whenever you watch them play, they're really entertaining to watch. I'm talking about night in, night out, their, on, their on-court product. Nightly product, I think that these narratives, these fights, these scuffles, these rivalry matchups, this is what carries the regular season there's a preconceived notion of who one through three one through four sometimes even one through five is going to be on both sides 
it's those last couple spots that are fought for. There's your storyline, and then whatever else it is. I think things really ramp up in the playoffs. NBA fans are becoming rabid, and and I don't it'll I don't know if it'll ever rival that of Sundays. I mean Thursdays through Mondays now, but rival football fandom. But these are the types of things that carry the casual fan or the let me check what's going on fan throughout the season. You stay you stay in tune with what's going on in the NBA sometimes because of this and your local team, whoever your team is. Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep an eye on an entire league, and this is what allows you to f- to get a, a more encompassing view of what's going on around the league. So I think that it carries you to the playoffs, and, and it's a nice – it's a nice vehicle to get you there because there is drama and when there's storylines that are like this and, and stories that are this bizarre, you can't help but watch. You can't help but listen. All right. I, I tend to agree with you there. All right. So that, that's a hard buy. That's a hard uh, buy. Matt, my last one. That's a hard buy. Put it, put it, put me in for, put me in for a buy on that one, Matt. Gotcha. Uh, I'm trying to fill as I find my buyer sells. Yeah. I, I'd remind you, but I already forgot here. what it was too. All right. We'll, we'll uh, cut this part. Buy or sell. <laughs> buy or sell, Matt. No, it's good. It makes us feel a lot. It makes us feel, you know, like they're, they're listening to a live studio audience yeah. right now. Well, it's Matt, after it's dark. Getting, anything goes. It's getting late here, Matt. Buy or sell. It's getting late there. Uh, it's getting late everywhere. Um, buy or sell, Matt. Bryce Love's decision to come back to Stanford is a mistake. Man, I was kind of, I was going back and forth on this one. I, 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 this was, this is one of the, not that you don't ask me good ones each week, but usually I, I have an answer mm-hmm. that immediately jumps out with me. You're in a bit of a and pickle. I, I can see both. Um, I'm, I'm going to buy it here simply because what sold me on it was. You're going to buy that it was a mistake. No, I'm like, sorry. I, no, I'm, I'm buying his decision that, to go I, back. I'm buying. You're his, buying so, the decision to go back. Okay. Yeah, so okay. selling them that it's a mistake. But I, I'm, I'm glad that he's going back. I think it's the right decision to go back because of how stacked this running back draft is. You have guys like Saquon Barkley, who's obviously top five pick. Darius Geis, who a lot of people see as a is a top fifteen pick or so. So I, I don't think he's near the top in in the running back pool here. At least top you know top two. And a lot of times you're not in the top two in the running back pool. You tend to fall out of that first round. And I know he had some health issues at the end of the year. I think he's banking on getting back healthy in the off season, going into next year fully and trying to stay healthy all year, prove he can do that because I think his health would have been an issue going into the draft and that might've caused him to slip even further. So I think he's, he's doubling down on the fact that I'm going to come back next year. I'm going to be elite again. I'm going to be the home run hitter again. That's that I was with Stanford last year and I'm going to stay healthy for 12 games and I'm going to be a top five, top 10 pick next year. I like it too, Matt, just because, I mean, the fact that it's con- a bit contrarian. You don't see this that often. I would sell on this if I was to pose me this question. Stay with me here. Um, I would sell on this just because the shelf lives of running backs, and, and, and if you're talking about injuries and him already having injury issues, you only got so many bullets in your in your clip when you're a running back, especially at these elite levels, to play another year of elite level football. I know you're going to prove something, and you might jump, I don't know, as much as 20, 25, let's call it, if he drops 40 spots in the draft. But in that same vein, running backs don't make their cake until the second contract. Anyway, nobody really makes their cake until the second contract. I think going to the league, getting in the right situation – Sometimes that guy ends up making more money because 
he got into it at the right time in the right place. Maybe he wasn't the flashy first rounder. He was a late second rounder that, but pick sometimes that pans out. No, I, I again, I, that's, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you're saying. I just kind of tended to leave. I was like 55, 45, one way or the other. I can totally see the other side of it. And this one, I, I really did have to think about for a while. I don't really necessarily think there's a, a wrong answer here, but obviously he felt he wanted to go back. I'm not sure if he, I, I don't think he had received his degree yet. So maybe that had something to do with it as well. Being, you know, a, a Stanford More kid having a degree to Stanford means case, something too. to him. I don't know for sure. But uh, I, I do know that I'm very excited to see him again with Stanford this year because Absolutely. I don't think there is a more underrated or more exciting player in college football to watch this year. I'm going to include Saquon Barkley in that. I know Barkley had a lot of the bigger highlights early on, but from a consistent basis, I think I saw Bryce Love had 13 uh, runs this year of 50 yards or more, and that was more than any other team had all year. That's, that's impressive, and you know he's going to get the rock a lot in a Stanford offense, that's just what they do. They hand the running back the ball. That's what they've always done. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to see a He'll lot of them, whether that's, and whether that's good or bad for, for his future and for his health. That's something that remains to be seen, Matt. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we, before we close it out here, Matt, we, let's, let's jump back because we skipped our boys. I know it's the off season, but we, let's get them in because, you know, we got to get our bear. Uh, Couple of the week, just your, your thoughts, boys, about the people here on the hirings by the Bears. Obviously, Fangio stays on board, and uh, Mark, uh, among some other coaches, uh, are you liking? Are you liking the cast of characters that's coming together as his coaching staff? I will. I'll add here. You, you, you cut out a little bit there, so I just want to make sure everybody got. We're, we're talking about the additions here of Mark Helfrich and, and Harry Highstand to that Bears staff, as well as Vic Fangio retaining him. Um, I, obviously, for Vic Fangio, I mean, don't need to explain why I love that he's staying. That that defense is taking steps with a very young core, and I think they're a couple pieces away from from really growing into one of the more elite defenses in the NFL if they if they can all stay healthy, which is a big if because they haven't been able to yet. But if that group can stay healthy, they're they're going to have a chance to be a top ten, top five defense if they can add, a, add another piece or two. Um, Harry Highstand was really uh, bittersweet for me being a big Notre Dame fan. He's been such a big part of what have been while, while that group hasn't been a consistent team over over in South Bend that that uh, that segment that he coaches that offensive line has been a, a, a rock for however many years he's been there. I think it's been since 2012. He's been there with Kelly the whole way. So that's been a, a great group since he's been there. But that's why I think he's going to do great things with the Bears. He did very good things with the Bears in his first stint there, and I, I think he knows how to deal with young linemen. He knows how to run the the scheme that Mark Nagy's going to the run scheme at least he's going to try and bring in. Um, and I, I think that's a home run of a hire. And I think Mark Helfrich is really interesting because that while the the hurry up speed let's go offense necessarily doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with the West Coast on you know on very or right away when you think about them, I actually do mm-hmm. think those two work. You take bits and pieces from each and combine them because while Helfrich or Negi kind of ran that West Coast slow things down offense, they're still in the shotgun, still kind of hurrying a little bit. And I think you can take bits and pieces from both those offenses and combine them a little bit. And you're not asking Mark Helfrich to recruit. He was a hell of a coach at Oregon. He just couldn't recruit and get the guys there. So I think he's a great football mind. And again, I, we said it about Negi, but 
Helfrich obviously knows how to use the the players with Tariq Cohen's skill set. He had Kenyon Barner, DeAnthony Thomas there, who have gone on to decent pro careers, uh, each in their own right, and had great college careers. So it would be interesting to see how they work to use guys like Tariq Cohen. Yeah, all the pieces seem to be coming together uh, in the right way. Let's see if these players respond to the coaches. I think that's the next step because uh, there is work to be done at Hallis Hall. Matt, get, ready for the ter- get ready for the term RPO, Joe, because you're going to hear I'm a lot ready. about RPOs the next couple of years. Yeah, it's going to be good times. But uh, I think that that's a, a scheme in which Mitch Trubisky can thrive. And uh, exactly. that's what I'm most excited about as a Bears fan. Totally. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. All right, Joe, I'm going to ask you for some input here in a minute, too. But uh, the, I think it was fitting that this happened on a on the, the first Saturday. We were without college football, but we, we lost a legend in the, the broadcasting business, the, the college football business, whatever you want to call it, sports industry. Uh, Keith Jackson, the, the legendary broadcaster, sports broadcaster, passed away at the age 89 on Saturday. I don't know about you, Joe. But growing up, listening to Keith Jackson on, on ABC calling the, the game of the week there, the Rose Bowl every year, the national championship game. Nothing for me said had big game feel. Brett Musburger a little bit towards the end, you know, towards when I got a little bit older after Keith Jackson, but nothing as a younger kid triggered my head like this is a big game. This is something I need to be paying attention to on TV, like hearing Keith Jackson's voice talk to me about football, what was going on. And uh, it was just an absolutely legendary career. Started in 1952. He was the uh, the first, uh, he began calling college football games for ABC in, in 1966. I believe he was the first college football broadcaster they had. Called countless Rose Bowls. He called Olympics. He called World Series. He, he did it all and, and probably had my, one of my favorite calls of all time was his call of Vince Young's touchdown against USC in the best game of all time, which was his last broadcast. I think it was fitting, but uh just a tribute to to arguably uh, the the greatest to ever do it, uh, Keith Jackson. Uh, couldn't have said it better, Matt. Outstanding words and a titan in the business, an absolute legend. And when I think of Keith Jackson, like you said, you think about those big games, those big moments. And I always think of he was a throwback in a time when everything was progressing at a crazy rate you were productions were changing the way broadcasters sounded was changing and he sounded like old time football mm-hmm. he was like it was like having uncle Vern in the house on a weekend it sounds like the 70s something sounded old and authentic about it and it just brought a great warmth to the game and uh, it will be it will be sorely missed but uh, always remembered definitely yeah he brought a, a calming I guess a calming presence to the most exciting moments. I think he, he did a great job of keeping himself composed under the, the biggest moments, the brightest lights on the field. He did a good job of always being in the moment, not getting too far out of it, and always... He, he had a great way of letting the moment breathe without overdoing it, I think, was, was one of his best skills. Absolutely, Matt. And I thank you for sharing the moment with me here uh, late night. Moose and Roots fans, we will try to get back to our Tuesday schedule or if things change here uh, we'll keep you up to date on that but we will try and 
uh, refrain from our late night recordings. Matt, I don't know. This is our first Moose and Moons after dark. Thank you for hanging in there with me. And thank you, Moose and Moons fans, for always hanging in there with us. That's going to do it for episode 39 of the podcast. Be sure to share, like, tweet, everything you do. Keep supporting us. Send us those mailbag questions. We're going to get back into the mailbag next week. We promise to have a couple good ones for you. We'll hit the ground running for episode 40, Matt. The big 4-0. All righty. <laughs> That's a, you couldn't promo the fortieth. You couldn't promo the fortieth uh, episode there. You, you caught well, me off guard. Hey, um, yeah, I'm really Gale Sayers. Is it, we're, Gale not, Sayers we're, not, we're not at episode fifty yet. We'll, we'll we'll worry about when we get to half a century here, Joe. Yeah, but you bite out a chunk, you knock down another ten. I'm excited Whatever. for forty, but we'll, we'll 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 talk when we get to fifty. Good night, Matt, and good night, Moose and Rose listeners. And here comes their man. Benchon on to the field, and the Trojan defense is beleaguered. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner, he's got it! Vince Young scores! May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the state was phenomenal.